0: My name is Mark Beattie. I'm Editor-in-Chief of Archives of Disease and Childhood. I'd like to highlight some of the content from the June edition of the journal. I'd like to start with a paper that relates to unrecognised visual impairment in children with special educational needs. I've chosen this as editor's choice for this month. It's well known that there is a high prevalence of visual impairment in children in special schools and that correction will impact positively on learning. In this issue, Woodhouse and colleagues report a survey of visual screening practices in Wales and the results of testing in schools where screening programmes were not in place. The first observation was that screening was patchy in 20 out of 38 schools. Of the 173 children tested, five special schools with no screening in place, by response to invitation, take up 31%, 73 out of 173 had never had an eye test. Of those, 17% had low vision by WHO criteria, six of whom had never previously had an eye test. Of the 172 tested for refractive errors, 50% needed either a first-time or an updated glasses prescription. Of the 46 children previously prescribed spectacles, only 23 were wearing them on the day of the procedure. More than half of the children, that's 86 out of 173, had some ocular abnormality that was either sight-limiting a warranted action to prevent loss of sight. This is a very important data set and the authors rightly express concern regarding it. Patchy visual screening, undetected low vision, undetected refractive errors, failure to wear prescribed spectacles and a high prevalence of ocular abnormalities in a vulnerable group of children with special educational needs. The urgent need for action to improve this is highlighted by the authors and in an accompanying editorial entitled Identifying Visual Difficulty in Children with Special Educational Needs, Where Should We Look? The second article that I'd like to highlight relates to weighing children. So we all know that childhood overweight is a serious problem. The real challenge is how best to impact. In this issue, O'Shea and colleagues in a short report compare general practitioners' insights on weighing children with the experience of parents and children being weighed. In a postal survey of 490 GPs, with a good response rate of 80.2%, less than 5% reported always check-in weight. 27.8% often, 58.6% sometimes, 10% never, with negative parental response cited as a potential factor. In 457 weighed children, 14.7% were overweight and 10.9% obese. 96.6% of parents indicated that check-in weight was helpful, although 4.4% of parents, and that includes one in four obese children, responded negatively to being weighed. These are important findings. If obesity is a risk factor for disease, then weighing should be an essential part of clinical assessment. If you are weighed and found to be obese, it's not unreasonable that some will react negatively. The real challenge for clinicians then is to react positively, engage and work with the family and child to manage the problem. The third article I would like to highlight this month relates to the white cell count and its ability to predict serious infection. The white blood cell count and the absolute neutrophil count is frequently used in the initial evaluation of febrile children in order to help rule out serious bacterial infection. This is supported by national and international guidance. In this issue, D and colleagues report a prospective study of febrile children aged less than five years who attended paediatric emergency departments with fever and had a blood count that's 3893 children 25% of total attendees 714 that's 18.3% had serious bacterial infection mostly urinary tract infection pneumonia bacteremia plus others for example osteomyelitis white cell count greater than 15 times 10 to the 9 had a sensitivity of 47% and specificity of 76%, i.e. 50% of cases would be missed and 25% percent overtreated, if white cell count with this cut-off was used as the only criteria. It clearly isn't. It's part of an overall assessment. The second interesting finding from this study was that an absolute neutrophil count of greater than 10 to the 9 had a sensitivity of 41% and a specificity of 78%. The authors conclude that white blood cell count and absolute neutrophil count are not sufficiently accurate triage tests for febrile children with suspected serious bacterial infection. The authors... Discuss their findings in the context of published guidance. In an accompanying editorial, Richardson and colleagues discuss the role of investigation in the management of feverish, feverish illness. That includes the importance of careful clinical assessment, appropriate investigation, and appropriate interpretation of test results in the context of the case being considered. The fourth paper I'd like to consider relates to the etiology and management of malnutrition in HIV positive patients. Three million children worldwide are infected with HIV, and without treatment, mortality is high. Malnutrition is a common problem for infected children, particularly in resource poor settings. Mortality from severe acute malnutrition, that's weight for height less than minus three standard deviation score or mid-arm circumference less than 11.5 centimetres in children aged six months to five years is three times greater in HIV positive than HIV negative children. This obviously may reflect increased risk of comorbidities including tuberculosis, respiratory tract infection and gastroenteritis. Malnutrition is multifactorial, including an increased need for calories and micronutrients, diarrhoea, and potentially reduced food supply, food insecurity. Many additional factors are relevant, including social factors such as delayed presentation, poor access to healthcare, and limited access to treatment. In this issue, Rose and colleagues review this complex etiology, medical and social, Prevention and Treatment, looking at the etiology and management of malnutrition in HIV-positive children. Listen to Rose talking about the management in more detail in the linked podcast. I'd just like to finish by mentioning a fifth article which relates to the autonomic nervous system, something we were taught about in medical school, Lost Among the Trees. The autonomic nervous system is relevant and important and is discussed in a comprehensive review this month. It's a useful reminder of the basic physiology as an important regulator, adjuster and coordinator of body systems and a prompt of just how relevant it is to the manifestation of so much of the pathology we commonly see. Symptoms, both physical and psychological, can be profound and disabling. Many functional symptoms reflect autonomic dysfunction. It's a very interesting review and relevant journey through many conditions with important information relevant to symptom assessment, etiology, diagnostic categorisation and treatment. I'm Mark Beattie, Editor-in-Chief of Archives of Disease in Childhood. I hope very much you've enjoyed this podcast. Visit our website to access the articles discussed. Thanks for listening.